You ready? Hey, Saints and our beloved Aang. What up with y'all? How y'all doing? That was real happy, wasn't it? Yeah, you sounded real Cheer- happy. Cheerful. Right. I think it's because, you know, usually on this podcast, I just have the privilege of talking to you. Yeah. It's just it just be me and you the whole time. Is it a privilege? Yeah. Okay. You know, because <laughs> I have a husband that I actually care about what he has to say. Oh. But at the same time, my some, heart feel warm. sometimes I do want to involve other people. Other people named Preston. Sure, like Preston Sprinkle. <laughs> so if, if if you're new to the name Preston Sprinkle, Preston is like one of my faves when it comes to the subject of all things New Testament, but also sexuality. He has a book called Embodied. He has some other books. Sorry, I don't remember him, Preston, but you know I love you. Uh, he has a podcast called Theology in the Raw where he talks to complementarians and egalitarians and trans folk and uh just everybody about everything he talks to woke people and non-woke people it's like it's like it's like a conversation but the thing that i appreciate about preston is that he engages in conversations that are polarizing that are complicated that are nuanced but he has a gentleness and an integrity about it that i think the church really needs to yeah learn. that's what i that's what i'll say about you I, of course i was introduced to your podcast by jackie i mean i was riding in the car with her one day and a uh, person kept calling you preston i'm like who is this guy named preston that she's listening to um and um and so as i begin to listen to your podcast more i've always respected how you had just a plethora of different I like like people on your podcast and it was different ideas, but you never really seen bias towards one view. You always seem very fair, um, but also represented truth. And so I've always appreciated that about you from afar. So it's great Thank to you. have you on. Who are you, Preston Sprinkle? Tell us a little about, bit about yourself. Who am I? I'm a resident of Boise, Idaho, um, 46 years old, married to my wife, coming up on 21 years. Uh, we have four kids together, four um, teenagers, actually, 13 to 19, um, oh, wow. three girls and a boy. I've been, um, I, my ministry career started as I just love theology and academics. So I went and did a bunch of theological degrees and what would have kept going, but my wife said I needed to get a job. So I got a job teaching the Bible <laughs> at a Christian college, did that for a number of years, a few different Christian colleges. And then for the last several years, I've been running a, um, a nonprofit called the Center for Faith, Sexuality and Gender, where we help primarily, well, church, but just Christian leaders as a whole to engage questions of faith, sexuality and gender with theological faithfulness and courageous love. So that's been my my day job and my night job for the last uh, about four or five years. So the interesting thing is that you are what you know someone would call a cisgendered man, right? Yeah. You're you're yeah. straight, you're white, <laughs> you're married to a woman. As far as we know, you've never been gay. Wait, wait, like, what is it called? Cisgendered. Wow, I did not know that. I didn't know it was a term for that. I, that's just regular to me. That's and that's a term that's been placed upon me, not one that I would choose for myself. I don't mind it. What would you say? Me, what would you call yourself? I'm just a I'm human. First. <laughs> I'm a male. Second, um, all, I'm in Christ, obviously. So, 
So what I'm the thing is though, I think a lot of times, like whether it's me or Christopher Yuan or whoever, like we get into the sexuality conversation because it's a life we've lived. Right. And when it comes to like homosexuality and lesbianism and all the things, why is this a topic that intrigues you? Yeah, you know, it started kind of going back to what I said earlier about my journey. Uh, it started just as an academic um, curiosity, really. Um, I like to, I've, I've, it, since I've been a Christian, I've wanted to know what does the Bible actually say? I know what I've, I've heard it's supposed to mean, what, it's, what I'm supposed to believe, but I want to know it for myself. So over the years, I've taken all of the kind of, not all, but many of the big topics and said, okay, I know what I've been told to believe, but I want to know what does the Bible actually say? So hmm. several years ago, um, the question of homosexuality came up in, in my life, just as a, you know, students were asking me about it. I kind of saw the buzz around the Christian culture. So I said, all right, I, I want to figure this out for myself. So that took me on an academic journey, um, huh. reading a bunch of books, working through passages, uh, but then also getting in the lives of LGBT people. And, and I was pretty stunned to find out that most LGBT identified people that I was meeting were raised in the church and almost all of them had a really bad experience in the church and, and largely for relational reasons that theologically mm -hmm. conservative Christians could could change like it wasn't i mean some of them were like yeah i just you know it was, a, it was a wonderful loving environment i just couldn't take the theology of marriage or whatever i don't know if i ever heard anybody say those words like that mm -hmm. usually it was like i was just the relational environment was just toxic or dehumanizing so that's taken me on a journey to want to maintain theological faithfulness and i'm primarily a theologian i love to wrestle with those arguments and and that's a, you know, part of what I do, but then another part is trying to help the Christian church develop a a culture around this topic that's that reflects more of the holistic vision of who Jesus is. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been interesting. <laughs> so Preston's latest book, Embodied, subtitle is Transgender Identities and the Church and What the Bible Has to Say. So you wrote a book about the T in in LBGTQ. What is what does it mean? What what is what is trans? You ask ten different people, and you'll get eleven answers. Um, so trans, okay. Well, trans is a an umbrella term used to describe, on the most basic level, somebody who experiences some level of incongruence, disconnect, dissatisfaction with their biological sex. Um, I would say maybe ten years ago. Well, it's just, I just, where do I start? It used to kind of mean like tra trans was an identity that people who suffered from mild to moderate to severe gender dysphoria would use this term to describe this disconnect. Gender dysphoria would be mm. the, the distress that some people feel without, I mean, it's hard to even explain, but this distress they might feel over their biological sex. That used to be so trans was used to almost be like an identity that was almost correlated with gender dysphoria. But now it, it's it's become so flexible and nebulous that it could mean a mm. number of things. Um, in fact, there's a whole movement, a movement and not a formal movement, but there's a, some outspoken, typically younger people who um, refuse to say you need mm. gender dysphoria to be trans like it's kind of the self ID perspective. Like if, if I'm, if I tell you I'm trans and I'm trans, I don't need some white doctor in a medical coat telling me, diagnosing me and telling me mm -hmm. who I am. I will tell you who I am. So there's kind of a resistance to the 
medicalization of the identity. And then there's other people that trans at the end of the day might even mean like, I don't resonate with masculine or cis feminine stereotypes, you know, um, for other trans people, it might be me. Yeah. Like I was born in the wrong body. I, even though I'm biologically male, I am a woman. That's like a really strong sense of trans, but, and I can keep going on and on. And there's just a range of different meanings to it, but the most basic meaning is some kind of lack of resonance or disconnect with yeah. your biological sex. Um, yeah. Even then, there might that, be that kind of sparked a question in my head from what you just said. Like, uh, I want to be more familiar with the LGBTQ plus community, um, but I'm not as familiar. Plus. I see you. Yeah, you know, I, 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 you. I studied before this podcast you now. Here. Don't sleep on me. I see you. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to speak out of ig- I don't want to speak out of ignorance, and I'm glad you're here, so I can I can ask you. Why, why does it seem like things in this in, the, in this particular community changes a lot? Like, is it that they're trying to work out some things, or is um, things haven't changed? They just you know we're just starting to be more educated on them because every time I look up, I, it seems like there's a new term or <laughs> like like why is that? That's an interesting question. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I, th- I think cult. Every a lot of things in culture are rapidly changing and moving, and and maybe some of this started with the just social rise of social media and smartphones and just the 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 constant flood of information. I think that might play one part. Um, I don't think that the proliferation of all the different identities and terms would have happened without the internet. I don't think mm-hmm. it wouldn't have spread that fast. It wouldn't, it wouldn't seem like, like you said, it just seems like every time I wake up, there's a new kind of maybe identity or term. Um, I, I'm pretty confident that would not have happened without the internet. Um, also, like when you get, when you move from like LGB to the T, you know, T now we're dealing with um, one's sense of self. Mm-hmm. And just that concept opens up all kinds of, possible categories that surround maybe you know what we would have called maybe mm-hmm. 10 20 years ago just like your personality like whether you're emo or a hick or a jock or whatever and you're you kind of have these interests in life that you just have interest in life you know maybe you're more tomboyish mm-hmm. maybe you're not maybe you're but now there are identity markers kind of used to to capture and categorize what we used to call in some ways just almost like personality in interests um Hmm. that might play a role too. And, and we can question whether that's good or bad or neutral, you know? Um, I, I think it, yeah. Um, hmm. uh, yeah. Cause I mean, if you, if you really, I mean, let's just, so let's just throw out some of these identity markers, um, non-binary, gender fluid, gender queer, trans. Hmm. Um, if you were to really ask somebody like, Hey, okay, I want you to explain what you mean by this you're going to get an excellent explanation that might be very similar to how somebody would have explained themselves 20 years ago without the term. Hmm. Um, hmm. That's very so, interesting. But now where did that come from? I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if I could even trace that back. There's, there's stuff going mm-hmm. on in academic circles and what g- gender theory and queer theory. There's some academic disciplines that most people have never even heard of. They've kind of, for what, however, whatever reason, kind of trickled down into more, a popular level conversation. Um, yeah. So I, sometimes I'll hear young people using terms that I'm like, well, I know that I know what the academic means by that. I don't even know if you know, if you know what that term means or the kind of the roots yeah. of that term. Of course I don't can talk to somebody like that, but I'm, 
Yeah. Yeah, because I wonder I, I wonder I wonder if it ever changes. What in, do you mean? In the in the in the world of social media. Because I think if we for honest, we're such um complicated and complex people, right? And so I think there's always going to be a people group that's going to rise up and feel like they're not represented based on how they feel mm-hmm. at the moment. And so like it, it's it's I don't know, it's it's not even it's not this is not even a critique to the community, but I think this is just how, you know, we're created, you know. Uh we're just comp complex and in, you know, you know, um nuanced yeah. people. And so like it's always gonna I feel like it's always gonna be some type of new term, you know, when we look up because, you know, it's always gonna be a people group or a person who feels like, man, the way you're phrasing the way I feel like I'm, I'm wired or made is not fully represented. You know, yeah, does that make yeah. sense? There, there is kind of on that, like, like, especially with younger people more than ever. I mean, young people always go through this, but I think more than ever, this, this, this search for uniqueness for who am I, how can I be um, unique or, or seen, or I want to belong. Like there's this desire to belong. So sometimes Sometimes identity markers can be a way of finding belonging, of finding community, of of finding uniqueness. Whereas maybe in the past there wasn't as as I mean, again, teenagers are always on that path. But I mean, now more than ever, I mean, we know about the rates of isolation and anxiety and depression and suicidality, and the pandemic didn't help with that. And um, yeah. so I, I don't know. I wonder if that might be part of this. Yeah, I, I too. was just gonna say. I think one thing um, this has forced out of. Christians and by what I what I mean by one thing this is this entire conversation about what it means to be trans or what is trans and a lot of it is just what does it mean to be male or female or not right and I, I feel like even to ask the question of what is a woman and what is a man it is yeah. actually we don't really have good answers <laughs> good enough well, some, pe- answers. some people shockingly can't define what woman or man is um. <laughs> right but I, I i think i think for a long time maleness and femaleness has been dis, de, defined by oh girls wear pink right boys right. wear blue girls are soft boys are yeah. hard and so then we have these people breaking out of the gender stereotypes and yeah. that is becoming trans when oftentimes you're just breaking out of a stereotype you get what yeah. i'm saying and so i i think how do you think that these kinds of like i don't know super unbiblical ways of defining femaleness and maleness has influenced the identity crisis in our culture yeah that's that's a huge that sense that that absolutely makes sense and i think that is getting to the heart of some of the some of the confusion with this conversation um yeah so somebody said you know i'm whatever so let's just say i'm non-binary or something and he said oh can you what does that mean and if they said well i don't I don't identify as exclusively male or female. Now we might hear male and female and think biological sex. Like, well, what do you mean you don't identify? Is that a, a chosen identity? It's just kind of whether you are or not. But if you ask them, well, what do you mean by male or female? They'll probably describe what we might say masculinity or femininity or maleness, femaleness. Like, well, I don't resonate with, and they might describe male typical stereotypical behaviors or female typical behaviors and so that, that when you get to the heart of them like, okay I, I can um i can i can see how 
you can find those categories oppressive. The beautiful thing about the Bible is the Bible does not morally mandate stereotypical femininity or masculinity. You, you see mm-hmm. characters like Jesus <laughs> right. shattering some of these culturally driven gender stereotypes. You know, you know, I point out to people this this isn't this isn't an argument. It's just an observation. It's just true. Like in the in the first century. You know, in Jewish culture, to be a real manly man was to be married, children, um, to, you know, probably be kind of misogynistic, like you wouldn't value women. Um, In the Roman culture would be to be promiscuous, to um, don't turn the other cheek, (laughs) don't love your enemy, don't Mm. wash somebody's feet who's of a lower social status. Like Jesus broke all of those. You have a single man of marital age who turned the other cheek, who got, you know, beat up, you know, so to speak. Um, <laughs> he deliberately violated these culturally driven stereotypes. Why? Because the, they're culturally driven. They're not uh, morally mandated. Now, I don't want to deny biology. Males and females will generally, typically, have different, broadly speaking, maybe typical behaviors, interests, whatever. But they're not absolute, first of all. And second of all, they're never morally mandated um, in in the Bible. So, yeah, I think Christianity has a wide open door to embody, to celebrate sex difference. Uh, we don't want to collapse those together. Um, but it also gives us a lot of freedom of what it means to be a godly man, godly uh, woman. Um, This, this is why that just blessed me. Do you want to know why Preston Sprinkle and Preston Perry? Because we talked about this on a, a, a podcast during, I think, season two, about how the way, you know, the way I exist in the world was not called feminine enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I didn't. I didn't like purses and I didn't like dresses and I didn't do all the things. Right. And so it was always, you're a tomboy. And so that's what, what's a part of why uh, I think embracing like, you know, that hyper masculine thing when I was calling myself a stud was because one, it felt natural to behave like mm-hmm. that, but it also felt like that's what y'all said I was. Y'all been calling me a boy this whole time. And so mm-hmm. now when I act like one, now it's strange all of a sudden. Yeah, and and so qu- I think if someone would have said like the the kind of woman you are is still a woman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and, and the culture that I grew up in uh, was the super hyper masculinity culture. Uh, where like we were always taught to ne- never to cry, never to show emotion. Um, don't let people think you a punk. Um, and this was this is what shows y- your manhood uh, to take advantage of as, as many women as you can. You know, be a womanizer. And so uh, when I came to Christ, and I was like, oh, I saw Jesus was 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 tender, hmm. uh, was hmm. a nurturer. Um, he knew how to feel. Um, he had empathy. Um, and he didn't look at his culture to define his manhood, but his manhood was defined who he was and who God, you know, who, who God was. And so I think, yeah, that was just important for me to understand, um, even growing up and, and when I came to Christ. So, yeah, I, I think the, because this is such a um, common discussion and yeah, I, I guess. What I'm trying to say is I was I was thinking about how Theology in the Raw, you had that panel. And I don't remember her name. I think it started with a K. And she shared her story about how she transitioned into a male or whatever. Yeah. And not a male, into a man and how yeah. 
she got connected to a church and they kind of discipled her and she lived in somebody's basement or something like that. She was taken care of. It, it wasn't like she was like a, a suffering it's a whole story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, one of the most profound things she said was about how when she was meeting with the couple that was walking with her, how they, they didn't impose like another thing for her to do. They didn't say, okay, now that you come right. to Jesus, start wearing some dresses. Right. They just right. kind of walked with her to the point where the Holy Spirit kind of like took her along where it's like embracing certain stuff. I don't know. So th- my question is, when it comes to discipleship, because this is a discipleship issue, not just evangelistic, mm-hmm. but a discipleship issue where you will have people in your church that are dealing with gender dysphoria. I, I, this is a broad question, but how do we walk with them mm-hmm. in a way that is well, I mean, wise and winsome, but also direct yeah yeah it's good good mm. um yeah that her uh kyla kyla is there we go uh who are you talking about and you have just a beautiful powerful story of she transitioned seven eight years ago then then met jesus a few years ago and then um met a christian couple who were walking with her in such grace and commitment they never said all right now you need to detransition they said hey we want to love you we're going to learn from you. We're going to listen, whatever you need, let us know. And it was the Holy spirit working in her heart that said, I created you female and I want you to embrace that identity. Yeah. It wasn't fr- It wasn't forced upon her from a, a, a couple. The couple was just embodying love, the love of Jesus. But they said, all right, if that's where God's leading you, then we want to do whatever we can to help you follow Jesus in that. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, walking with people with gender dysphoria for people that haven't experienced gender dysphoria and gender dysphoria to be clinically diagnosed with gender dysphoria. It's pretty, it, it is a pretty rare psychological uh, condition. Some people don't like the term condition, but I mean, it's, it's in the DSM. So, um, right. and the DSM even lists, you know, 0.014%, um, were kind of diagnosed with gender dysphoria at, in 2013 might be a little more now, but it's still, mm. it's still That's pretty low. low. But if you, I've got several friends who have had, you know, lifelong, sometimes really debilitating gender dysphoria. It's, it's so hard to even describe. And, and, I have a question. Yeah. Do, 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 do the LGBTQ plus community like that term? Do they do, do gender dysphoria? Well, is that, is that a firm yeah, um, term that they, it's, it depends. There is no, when it comes to this conversation, there it simply is no uniform um, or even consensus on terminology. Gender dysphoria is pretty accepted. It is the term that's in the um, DSM. And here's the catch 22. We're getting off a tangent, but it's, it's an interesting one. Um, to get a, sur- get a surgery paid for, right? Your insurance, ha- you have to have a, medical condition so they almost uh, it's you, you kind of you don't want to be medicalized i don't have a problem I, I am who i am but then but i need a surgery well wait a minute mm. is why do you need the surgery well i have this condition so it's kind of a catch-22 some people may not love the term but they kind of need some kind of diagnosis um yeah. if they're going to pursue transitioning so um yeah gender dysphoria is pretty fine i, I don't know a lot of people that would yeah. Um, if you call it a psychological condition that sometimes they, people might not like that. They might say, I feel distress because society doesn't accept me. It has not, I've no, nothing's wrong with me. It's all you who are causing this, you know? Got it. Um, got it. um hmm. 
What was your original question? Uh, I'm sorry. Walking with discipleship. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I I just think honestly, just having a lot of humility with the ignorance that we all have with something that's incredibly complex. So I think mm. discipleship needs to be patient, cautious, humble, slow, loving, listening, um, really walking with somebody. And, and a lot of, um, I mean, Kyla said this on stage, I have another friend, Kat, same thing where they said, when I first came to Jesus, I, I was working through so much. If someone said, all right, don't, you know, Here's the pronouns you need to use. You need to do this. You need to do that. They would have ran so far away. It's the people mm. that met a Christian or Christians or community that were humble and listening and said, you know, what? I don't have all the answers, but I'm willing to be with you while we figure this out together. That kind of posture is absolutely huge. Um, That's a game changer. And I also, going back to the stereotypes, I think creating a church context where we're not exacerbating or embodying these culturally driven, sometimes oppressive stereotypes. Um, mm-hmm. Most trans people I know, um, as they're following, you know, ones that are like come to Christ, following Jesus, like sometimes they, they find these stereotypes so exacerbated and, and mm-hmm. baptized almost in, in the church. And it's just, sometimes it's hard. It's like, I can't even go to church because I just feel like men's and women's retreats and this, that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's just so many things that are just assumed about what it means to be a man and a woman in the church. And it's hard for me to be there. So I think being aware of how we are, um, are we overly sanctifying some of these gender stereotypes or are we giving people, you know, freedom to live out their, their identity, their male or female identity, you know, in, in the way that the Bible allows. So. And I think some context for our listeners or even Preston, because you probably like, so how, how does that exacerbate it? Like, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. I, I think one might be if, you know, there's a, a, a men's meeting at the church and it's about like, it's like, oh, we're going to play football. Right. And so the assumption is, is that all the men must come together and the, the, the way we come together and bond is through sports as if all men like sports. Or if you have a women's retreat and it's like, okay, girls, we all going to get together and, you know, I don't know, knit something and, and, and talk about brunch and, and wear pink, you know, with flowers and things. And you got a large group of women that don't feel like that's a space they actually belong to. They might actually want to go to the men's retreat and play sports. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so I think having a diversity of even like personality types represented and when you do separate genders in your church. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in the topic of discipleship, I think in the past, I mean, I, even when I co-led a church in Chicago, you, you had those guys who hated sports, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't have, uh, they, they, they didn't struggle with their sexuality, per se, but they just mm-hmm. didn't like sports, you know. Um, and so for me, I think my question would be in, in the topic of dis- discipleship is how can me as a heterosexual male um, is it possible for me to disciple someone who is same-sex attracted, a male? Mm-hmm. And if so, like, what does that look like? I mean, because I, 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 a little over two years ago, I gave the gospel to a guy who was in the human rights campaign. He was out there on the streets, you know, um, saying, wow, you know, the LGBTQ plus community deserve like equal rights and all this. Mm-hmm. And we talked. And one of the things I talked about, I, I talked mainly about, you know, him being a Buddhist and, you know, why I feel like Jesus is, is better than the religion that he that he mm-hmm. that he that he serves. But when we when we begin the text, I have to be just be honest. Um, 
me, I was just like, it, like I was uncomfortable in some ways. And I think my uncomfortability was me not wanting to, to offend him, uh, me not wanting to say something that will be damaging. And so I think for a man, like in this small group, how, how, do, we, hmm. how do we walk yeah. carefully with, with, with other men Especially in a super hyper masculine culture that says, "Be a man," and you know, and uh, we even come to Christ with a lot of these these toxic thinking. So, how can men, you know, walk in love with? Yeah, man. I don't think there's a one size fits all uh, response to that. Each one's different, has unique stories and, and needs and everything. Um, I think it would be hard if the great if if their if their context is kind of that hyper masculine. That's gonna be hard for anybody, same sex attracted mm-hmm. or not. Um, who who doesn't resonate with that? And uh, yeah, like you, Preston. (laughs) Um, you know, I I remember growing up and and like I I I actually I love animals and I hate to see animals die. But for some reason, I don't know where this came from. Like that was very unmanly. No, you you should enjoy killing arbitrarily, just killing an animal. And so I would like. Sit in my backyard. I remember when I was sick with my BB gun and, and literally shoot birds to desensitize myself to, and I hated it. This dead bird just sitting there for no reason. Like I even now think about, it, I'm like, hated it. But I, but like, no, to be a real man, you know, is to do that. Um, to not cry. I, 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 I tell people, I'm 46. I've probably cried maybe four times in the last 25 years. You know how unhealthy that is. But even now, I, I'll, I'll be, I'll watch a, a, a movie. And I'll be like, I could feel being moved to tears. And there's, it's almost like there's just something in me that just shuts it down and stops mm-hmm. me from crying because it's been so embedded in me that men don't cry. So you preaching, um, brother. Yeah. Those, those, those are, yeah. that's just, there's so, there's so much unhealthiness there that, um, yeah. Anyway, I'll just, that's a long response to say, I would want to try to not be in, get out of those environments where, um, mm-hmm where that hyper again culturally driven masculinity is just seen as like the right way to be um and i'm not against like in in many other ways i would resonate with stereotypical masculinity i you know i love (laughs) i love to eat meat every meal i'm not you know i'm not a big talker i live in i'm not super emotional in other ways and whatever whatever stereotype you want like I, i love sports i you know um and if somebody's naturally wired that way great whatever but just don't make it the moral standard for everybody else and create environments that do honor and celebrate the beautiful human diversity that God's created us to be. Uh, and that's when we create an environment that only caters to kind of one kind of person that that can be hard. Um, you know, this is, this is a complex area. How can straight Christians walk with the same sex attracted person of the same sex? Um, part of me is almost like, just do it like you would any other person. Like sometimes making too much of sexuality it's just not helpful. Sometimes just treating somebody as just like a regular person like you would anybody else and not overthinking the sexuality piece in- unless they're really wanting to work through those, those questions. Uh, I found that to be, I found that That's to good. be helpful. Um, yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Good answer. Now Preston Sprinkle. <laughs> here's, here's another one. Polyamory. Okay. Polyamory. Polyamory. Oh what? I'm not into it. I'm not into it. Good. Hard enough being a husband of one wife. I'm really <laughs> proud of you. <laughs> okay. For those who have never heard yeah. the term, how would you describe it? Yeah. Two, what does the Bible say about it? Three, yeah. 
Yeah, we'll take it from there. Yep. Um, polyamory. Um, poly, mini, uh, is it Amora or something? Love. So plural love, mini love. So basically a, a consensual um, romantic and or sexual relationship with more than among more than two people, three, typically it's three. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes it could be more, uh, a lot more common than people realize. Some people think, Oh gosh, some fringe thing. So I've done, I've read several surveys that upward to 5%, maybe even 10% of Americans at least have been in what they call a consensual non-monogamous or polyamorous relationship. And that's only really, yeah. Yeah, I was tripping. I brought it up because I was listening to a podcast conversation you had maybe three years ago on the subject where a pastor, I might be mixing up stuff, but I listened to a podcast and I saw a tweet (laughs) where somebody was using the Trinity as reason for polyamory to be morally acceptable. And they were saying that because (laughs) God is one God that exists in three persons, therefore there's like like a diversity of love among no. the members of the trinity you're making and this that up that we get we could be in love with more than one person yeah, sexually yeah. and intimately and that's all right and okay. so I, I think as okay. christians i think we Wait. need to be on we need to prepare ourselves for the fact that this is like you just be can't say something like that and not pause like it's normal they said that for real yeah that's kind of blasphemous yeah <laughs> that's crazy wow but you know that's well, Roman and here's the thing. Here's here's the thing. This this shocks people. Um, do we have any examples of a same sex relationship, same sex sexual relationship in the Bible? Where we can say, "Wow, but here's something where it kind of existed." The answer is no. There's no. There's nothing. Right. The David and Jonathan thing that doesn't work. And Naomi and Ruth. And there, there's some. There's yeah. some people that have in the past <laughs> tried to find some. Just that it's just besties. not there. Is there an example of plural <laughs> marriages in the Bible? The answer is yes. We do have all over and the, the place. Poly- polygamy is different, but it's still under the broader umbrella of more than one person. I mean, it's obviously very patriarchal. It's it's there's political and economic reasons for it, but um, so so we do have at least we have I think more biblical. It's going to sound like I'm arguing for it. I'm not, but I'm saying there is mm-hmm. more. We do it. There's more biblical evidence for something akin to polyamory than there is for same sex, uh, relationships. Now, um, yeah, I mean, there's some clear passages that would rule it out. I mean, just go all the way back to the creation narrative where you do have, um, uh, well, just because there's two biological sexes and because I do believe sex difference is an intrinsic part of what marriage is. Hmm. Um, that's part of the logic for why it should a sexual relationship should be, be between two people, not three. And because I do think that procreation is, I'm going to tip my hat to my Catholic brothers and sisters here. I, I, I think marriage and procreation as an, is one intended purpose of marriage, I think is, is more closely linked. And, and once you throw in multiple mm-hmm. partners there, I think that that really throws a wrench in, into that. Um, and one, one more thing in Matthew 19, Jesus, um, when they were asking asking him about divorce, which isn't polyamory, but it's kind of like, you know, a woman who's been divorced and remarried and divorced and remarried, and wh- whose husband will she be in the in the new creation? Well, actually, that's a different context. But when he was a- being asked about divorce, he went back to the creation account and specified male and female, and that duality—not just the s- sex difference, male and female, but the duality of these two people 
God is joined mm-hmm. together, let no man separate. So there's Teach the text. there's an intrinsic duality that's in- essential for marriage too. So um, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's hard to make a biblical case for monogamy, but I will challenge pastors and leaders. Like this is not some fringe thing. This is something that especially in more progressive environments, more and more youth groups are dealing with it. More and more churches are saying, I'm having polyamorous thruples, you know, showing up at church. Some that are like, they read their Bible every day. Like they have a, a Christian posture, I guess, or, or, you know, um, so yeah, I think we do need to have a a thoughtful, winsome, gracious response to where we're at on this. I I have a question. Um, pronoun hospitality. Oh yeah. Good one. What is it? I taught Preston that. Yeah. Preston (laughs) Perry. What is it? And and how should Christians in the body of Christ deal with it? All right. Let me um I'll I'll try to be concise, but don't interpret my concision for the fact or for assuming this is a simple question. Um there so the question is if a trans person, or let's just say any person wants you to refer to them by pronouns that don't match their biological sex, whatever those may be, could be yeah, he, she, the, or they, them, or even maybe there's some made up ones or new the neo um new terms like uh um uh gigergram or uh, there's a whole bunch of different ones but um huh uh no well i mean there there's so many there's so many there's some popular ones like um oh what's the one i'm thinking of there's one that's like really popular but then there's been so many i mean endless basically just sounds that aren't real words that people can make up but um uh so i here, i'll start by saying i think there i think it's a complex question i think there's really good smart christians on both sides of this debate um i think the argument that using someone's pronouns that don't match their biological sex um you know some people say that's lying to them they are say a man so call them he him if you don't call them that, you're just kind of, and I've heard people say it, and I think this, I don't like this phrase, but um, you're feeding their delusion. Now, I, that's, I don't like to use the term delusion in this conversation, but, um, you know, those are the arguments against using someone's pronouns, and, and there's more to it than that. But um, the other side says, uh, you know, well, we don't need to agree with the term. We can use it as a, as a form of hospitality, of meeting someone where they're at. I've wrestled with this a lot and I have landed generally on the pronoun hospitality side, meaning if I meet somebody on the streets, neighborhood, workplace, whatever, if some uh, God brings somebody in my life and they prefer certain pronouns, um, I'm going to use those pronouns, not because I agree that they should be using them, but that my desire for relationship supersedes whether I agree with them on this point or not. Um, so, you know, and I, I tell people, you know, language is, uh, shared social space. So we're we're on video here. Um, so if you have two people and say, I'm, I'm over here and I'm person A, this is person B, you know, and I believe that pronouns match biological sex, but what if I meet person B over here and they think pronouns should match one's gender identity, one's internal sense of who they are. So they might have a gender identity that doesn't match the biological sex. And and I'm over here thinking, I don't think I agree with anything you just said, maybe. And they're like, 
well, I don't agree with you. And I don't, you know, it's like, well, language exists in this shared relational space. So I can't really expect everybody I encounter to use the, to, to have the same worldview whose language reflects that worldview and that worldview must match my worldview. Like at some points we have to kind of give in, there's a give and take here with language as this, you know, bridge to relationships. So that's primarily why I would land on, you know, using someone's pronouns that, that they want me to use to, to at least try. I, I mess up, you know, I can't, they, them is really difficult. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's it's counterintuitive for somebody who's been <laughs> who's lived you know forty six years of my life using that for plural, not a singular. Um, the the one cat the one exception that I would want to um, leave open is parents with like younger kids who want to be called by a different pronoun. With with younger kids, let's just say under eighteen, um, especially like under fifteen, there is. I don't, the, the, every term I use here is going to be possibly problematic. There, there can be a social trendy factor here. So like I have friends who, when they hear the pronoun that matches their biological sex, it sends their dysphoria through the roof and they're driven to self-harm. I'm like, wow, well that, I don't understand why that is. I don't, I'm not a psychologist, but man, okay. I don't want to do that to you, you know? And, and they would even say, I don't know why this is. There's gotta be some, unhealthiness here that I need to work through. But in the meantime, can you not do things that make me want to go cut myself? You know, um, when my daughter, my 14 year old daughter goes to theater class and she's the only one in a group of 20 that doesn't call themselves they, them, or she, he, they, I'm like, I don't think every single one is dealing with debilitating gender dysphoria when they hear the pronouns. So if my kid younger kid wanted to be called by a different pronoun. I, I think I do have the right and role to, to parent my, my kid unless it, I do see that, man, this is a, again, a severe situation. If I use their pronouns, they're going to be suicidal or something. Then I'm like, okay, may, maybe in the mean, while I get help, like maybe I can put a bandit in the situation and call them whatever they want to be called by, um, knowing that there's gotta be deeper, deeper issues at, at uh, going on here. So, um, and one more thing, and I'll, I know it's a long answer, but um, so, so pronouns are a form of social transitioning. So you have social transitioning, hormonal transitioning, taking cross-sex hormones, and then surgical transitioning. And the data does seem to show that when younger kids are affirmed in a social, in social transitioning, it, especially by an authoritative figure, like a parent, that can often lead to hormonal and then maybe surgical transitioning. And that's where I'm going to say, I look, I, if I was a Bible hating atheist, I would still be adamantly opposed to teenagers transitioning, not, not just on ethical grounds, but on just practical medical scientific relational grounds. And you know who agrees with me on that? Every single older trans person I talk to. <laughs> so this isn't my cis hetero, whatever opinion coming out. This is just, kind of basic medical care, but, um, uh, so, so yeah, so all that to say parents of younger kids, I want, I want to like, if you're doing something that's going to encourage that path of social hormonal, uh, surgical with a younger kid, I'm gonna say, yeah, let's not do that. You know, if your kid's at 25 and they make that decision, they're kind of, it's kind of out of your hands, but, um, younger kids, I really want to help them navigate the complex society that they're living in. But,
Sorry, does that does that make sense? We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I, I mean, it makes sense, and it, it gives me a lot of clarification. But also, the they them thing, I, I never really understood it. Yeah, and uh, we could, I know we're running out of time, so we could just do this real quick. And this could be a question for both of you guys: Is that someone who does not who doesn't identify with male or female? So, it, uh, typically, somebody who identifies as non-binary, so they don't identify as either male or female. Again, what they mean by that typically is masculinity or femininity. They don't prefer either he or she pronouns because those mm-hmm. are binary terms, one or the other. They, them is kind of a neutral. It's a non-gendered, if you will, um, pronoun. Um, it, it, and there's, I think there's two categories of people here for, for some typically younger people. I think, again, there, there is a social trendy uh, yeah. influence here, not, like at role here. Um, I do have some older friends who prefer they, them. And again, one of my friends in particular says, I know I'm biologically female and it would, it would, I think it would dishonor God for me to s- prefer he, him, even though that would be my, in my flesh, mm. like that's what I would prefer. But I don't think that's right for me in my relationship with God. When I hear she, her, which matches my biological sex, it's, it drives me to self-harm, exacerbates my dysphoria. So they, them is a way, is a mediating position to try to honor God by not saying he, him, but to not also be driven to self-harm. So that, that's, a con, that's, a, that's different than a, the 12-year-old who came back home from junior high and said, I'm they, them now, and not really knowing, you know, all my friends are they, them, I want to belong, yeah. and, you know. Well, thank you, Preston Sprinkle. Yeah. You, they, you, you, yeah. you, this was very helpful. Uh, I want everybody to go buy your book, Embodied. I want everybody to subscribe to Theology and Raw. You even got Patreon, you know, where you be answering people's questions about dinosaurs and hell and stuff like that. <laughs> You're a pretty cool guy, Preston. So we, we appreciate you, sir. Uh, thank you. Yeah, All you right. too. It's got to be the name. You have a good one. <laughs> 30 Minutes with the Perrys is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. Edited by Angie Elkins. Video recording and audio production by Kim Powell. Artwork by Hop and music by Swoop. Join us on Patreon for early access to With the Perry's episodes and other exclusives. You got two options. You can go to www.patreon.com forward slash with the Perry's or just go ahead, scroll. You'll find the link in our show notes. We are the Perry's. Thank y'all for listening. Now go with God.